Welcome to Innovate for Impact, an informative mini-series brought to you by Tanya Gomez Consulting. In this series, we embark on a journey to explore the remarkable innovations that are shaping the landscape of the NGIS for a more inclusive future. Join us as we uncover inspiring stories of visionary individuals, organisations and technologies that are revolutionising the way we approach disabilities. Welcome back to Innovate for Impact. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Trady Naidu from Chosen Family. Welcome, Trady. Thank you so much for the invite, Tanya. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk to you today and really learn more about Chosen Family and I guess your mission and and where you are and and where you started. I've I've read, you know, we've we've met a number of times and I've I've read your blurbs on your website about your process of co-designing futures um, and really supporting people who you say fall between the gaps. So I'm I'm really excited to know where you started and where that came from. Yes. So Chosen Family, in essence, was birthed out of a desire to bring joy, first of all, back to the NDIS sector. I think we've become so commercialized that we've forgotten that we're in the care sector at this stage. Um, And then, you know, kind of that motto of co-designing individuals' futures with them, because ultimately they're the experts in their own lives. Um, I would say as well, uh, what I saw was that we weren't really... Um, up to date when it came to understanding trauma-informed care within our sector. Um, That's something that in the out-of-home care sector, when you're dealing with children and adolescents, that's something we're we're taught quite strongly, that framework. But when it came to trauma-informed care, when it also came to having an intersectional lens, um, as, as opposed to, you know, when you're looking at somebody or looking at an individual and looking at them holistically, um, that was something that I felt was a little lacking and needed. And so I thought, why not open up Chosen Family and kind of provoke everybody into that type of um, thought process when they're looking at the systems, the frameworks and the policies that they are creating. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And where did the name Chosen Family come from? So Chosen Family, that that name was actually coined by the LGBTQIA community. I'm part of the community myself. Um, And so the reason why I felt that it would embed our values was because um, when I was working as a support worker uh, for many years, I realized that a lot of our clients, just like the LGBTQIA community, a large portion, you know, we've been disowned by our family or we're seen as too difficult or too difficult, too strange, too abnormal. Um, and so what used to really break my heart was in December when it was Christmas time. Often a lot of our clients would get dropped off by their families um, at our companies, organizations, and then never seen again, never encouraged. So those significant dates, you know, Christmas, birthdays, Um, I eventually became their chosen family or an extension of family for them. And so I felt this kind of embodies what we want to do and what we want to present with those who have fallen within the gaps and the LGBTQIA community as well. And there's so many people with a disability and that lived experience um, are often a minority, but also often overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. You gave me goosebumps, actually, when you said that. (laughs) about Christmas you gave me goosebumps that's you know it's it's devastating to think that somebody doesn't have the support of their family you know families they're so important the connection and the the love that you have is really such an important part of being a human right talk about 
needs. Um, and so you are the chosen family and that's where the name came from. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Thank you. That's really nice. Um, and tell me about your background through, you, you said that you worked in the out-of-home care system. Yes. Okay. So my background, when I was in South Africa, I was actually a very strong spiritual leader, um, but also kind of worked in the not-for-profit space or doing some community relief and education. And then when I came to Australia, while I was in South Africa, first of all, prior, I was a solicitor there and then came to Australia to um, come and re-qualify here. Um, And then kind of just saw, even with advocacy, in the legal sense, also just noticed with the not-for-profit space, disability, out-of-home care, youth work, child protection, that there was that gap, you know, um, for a service that kind of uh, provided a different take on the way that things were. I think, you know, you spoke about innovation earlier and why we're here today having this discussion. Um, I think a lot of people have become quite stagnant in their framework and their their thinking when they think of service delivery. So that kind of also just led me and prompted me to go into that direction. So I did a whole bunch of things, um, worked as a support worker, did child protection, did out-of-home care and foster care and adoption. Um, I used to work for Bernardo's Australia, which is quite a well-known not-for-profit. I think they're the best or the leading experts right now in foster care and adoption um and that kind of also just led me then into the disability space which was a blessing because yeah. i love being in this space what a what a journey so you came from spiritual leader to solicitor that's i have you know maybe that's a conversation <laughs> for another day yeah. <laughs> it, um through the foster care system and then into the disability sector mm, it's dealing with humanity and mm. it's dealing with them at different stages of their lives and that's, yeah. I think, the common thread in the tapestry of what I've seen with my career. It's mm. dealing with humanity and their hearts and what's happening. You know, we're more than just bodies out here. I think yeah. we're souls. Yeah. And it's meeting everyone's individual needs, you know, meeting them where they're at, meeting them yep. where they're at, not expecting them to be different, not expecting them to be something or someone they're not, just meeting them where they are and caring for them, warts and all. Yes, which has been a tremendous blessing because it ends up challenging me about my own life. Um, And I end up looking internally and I end up seeing, oh, there's a vast part of my heart or, you know, my values or who I am that I haven't probably explored. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. But even in assisting somebody else with their day-to-day life or living, um, like doing, you know, community access or helping with personal care or taking someone to a doctor's appointment, I think you end up healing yourself as well. And you end up realizing that um, the human condition um, is, is, is there's a need and a desire to belong ultimately and to yeah. be cared for well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's that connection again, isn't it? It's it's connecting and being part belonging, being part of that group. And I think I I when I worked with children as an early childhood teacher in the beginning of my career, that was something that always was so rewarding about working with children is if you're having a bad day, you know, <laughs> children just loved you 
completely. You could just walk yes. in there in a really bad mood. It's almost impossible to be in a bad mood because they, you know, will come and give you a hug or just watching the joy in what they're doing, their their wonderment. And it's it's really such a special thing to see mm. the world through the lens of a child. Um, yes. Probably a little bit more challenging when you're seeing it through the lens of someone in foster care or out-of-home care, um, but still wondrous. And, you know, I think children are all wanting to belong, and I think moving into adults, that's something that really stays with us. Yes. Um, so I'm really interested in co-design. Now, the word co-design gets thrown around a lot. It's one of the buzzwords, I think, mm. I work a little bit in the education space as well. And in the education space, it's the like buzzword of the minute is everything is (laughs) co-designed. What do you mean by co-design and how do you work with participants to co-design their futures? Well, I would say it's provoking my team and everyone that, that currently works for us to not acquiesce to being normal and pigeonholing our clients into the type of service we believe they need to experience. So um, I think there's a goal when we talk about co-designing, which is ultimately, first of all, it's client-led, meaning they're the ones giving us the data, they're the ones giving us the feedback on how our um, systems and processes interact with them as individuals who have disability. So you're getting a lot of feedback all the time about um, maybe ideas that you have and when you think of it, you go, ah, oh, this would be an amazing thing for someone with, with a disability. But often when you interact with somebody maybe who has ASD, like autism, or maybe if you interact with someone from the criminal justice space or a psychosocial disability, what you could see as amazing and as beneficial could actually be detrimental and could actually cause a lot of harm for that individual. So when I talk about co-designing somebody's future with them, it's ultimately service provision that's led by them and we're the ones being educated by them and going at their pace. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and I, I, I love the statement that you said that you're not here to create dependencies on your service. So talk to me about how you're different in that respect. Okay, so I think currently, even with the NDIS landscape that we're in, um, one of the things we probably really need to actively do is decenter um, the white, straight, male, able-bodied, English-speaking norm that we have in place. Um, one of the things I'm noticing with a lot of our clients is um, they're not being heard when it comes to the service delivery and the way that we're doing it. Um, and one of the things I've seen as well is we're different in the sense that we're targeting individuals who often don't want to be serviced by your usual organization. So let's look at the demographic that we currently service. A lot of the individuals we service are part of the LGBTQIA community and just come from the justice system and have drug and alcohol interventions. So your, your usual standard blueprint will not work. So the way that we're kind of catering the service to towards those individuals um, is we've actually limited and cut down our services. So we started off, for example, with Chosen Family doing SIL. We don't do that anymore. We've actually just cut that registration away because we realized that we were, you know, um, 
trying to provide too much, but we weren't really having an impact. Um, then we also wanted to provide support coordination. It came from a good intention, but ultimately we realized that that wasn't actually working for our clients. Listening and going back after three months, six months, you know, those three-month intervals, asking for feedback from support coordinators, LACs, and our clients. We just realized that we were providing too much, there was too much noise, and ultimately it wasn't what they required and they needed. And that can be really, really challenging and different or difficult when you're getting that type of um, feedback from your community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's something that a lot of providers do, especially in the beginning, is that they're just trying to find where they fit. Um, mm. And go into being an NDOS provider really a little bit naive about the scope of what can be done. Um, and and I, I find most people, well, not maybe most, but a lot of people go in and say, okay, I'm going to offer every service in every area to everyone. And they really aren't clear on who are they serving. And then they get lost in the noise of all the other providers. So, you know, I, I'm always a fan of what can you be the best in the world at? Um, yes. you know, for me, I use the quality and compliance platform, but, you know, I don't know if that's what I'm the best in the world at, but I know that I'm, uh, there's definitely a, a, a niche there that I can capture right now with my current skill set and I can do a pretty good job of it. But if I try to then, you know, like I'm constantly asked to business coach people and I'm just, I know that I'm just not a business coach, right? And, uh, you know, I, I've got a qualification in business coaching. I've run businesses, but I know my own skills is that I don't want to help people get there themselves. I want to tell them the answer. I want to consult and give the advice. Yeah. I don't want to coach, which is very different. Um, and, you know, Paul, who I do a podcast with, I refer everyone to him and say he's a great business coach. That just, just That's not just me. But yes. I think... What you said, you tried on SIL, you tried what that felt like, you tried on support coordination and realized this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel for me. My clients aren't getting what they need from me. And you've managed to go, okay, these are the services that fit and this is our model and, you know, created a, a brand and a reputation within that and expertise, I suppose, in that specific area. Yep. Yep. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a trap. Um, you know, comparing yourself um, or getting into that. And that's something that I've seen a lot of other providers also tend to do. Um, sadly, I'm trying to wake people up and go, what is so unique about your service and what you do and what do you do so well that you add value in our sector? And then how do I connect you to the very participants or the pipelines and the, and the individuals that you actually need to connect to? Because yeah. then... We're all clear on expectations. Um, I know that we're going to talk probably about some of the challenges that we face within the NDIS sector. And this is kind of that segue because um, when you're trying to do too much, you end up harming, you know, those individuals or those clients. And then you end up also causing a little bit of a backlog because those clients that need to go into those specific organizations or move towards a specific um, type of agency or service, aren't actually being seen and those needs aren't being met. Yeah. And then, yeah, we, we talk about trauma in our sector and I'll leave it there. I think everybody can kind of imagine how this all snowballs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. I think there's a lot to be learned about knowing who you are, but also who you're not. 
Um, and it seems that you do that. You do that really well. Um, and I think you're, you're also, I think the missing ingredient for a lot of people is passion, right? The passion to solve mm. a problem. And you, you definitely have the passion for both the LGBTI communities, but also, you know, people with disability. And so for you, it's not yep. just a job, it's a mission and it's a calling or a purpose. And so if you can mix what you're passionate about with what you do as your, your job or your vocation, I think that's where the magic is, right? Because to run a business, any business, is such hard work. If you don't really love what you're doing, there's no way you would you would be successful. There's no way you can put in enough. Like money is not enough of a motivator for anyone to put in the work that's actually <laughs> needed to be successful in a business. You have to be drawn by something much more powerful, um, yes, which is you is your, you know, it looks like you're living and breathing that. Well, I always talk to a whole, I've spoken at a couple of events recently and told people, you know, it's more than a job for me. Mm. Um, when my feet hit the ground in the morning, I believe I have a divine energy and ability that's given to me because this is my calling. And if this is just the job and you're just here for money, you're going to get burnt out very quickly in the sector. <laughs> you really, really need to eat, live and breathe this. Um as most organizations or most directors um, in NDIS organizations, you take this work home with you. Um, I'm constantly, I could be on holiday and I'll be watching someone maybe try to access a specific building or something and I'm sitting there going, oh, they could have done that better. Or I'll be at an event and I'm not even trying to do it. Like I'll be with my partner and I'll be at an event and I'm thinking, oh, they just made a statement, an ableist statement. They just asked all of us to stand. Oh my God, there's four people in wheelchairs. What are you doing? So if you live and breathe this, you know, it, yeah, it, it takes it a step further and makes it actually a joy for you to be in the sector or else you'll start complaining. Yeah. And you'll take personal offense to some of the feedback that you receive. Um, instead of seeing it as, ah, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity for me to kind of grow and expand my knowledge in a specific area. Mm, yeah. So I think what you're, you call a calling is, you know, I think it is absolutely that. But for, for me, I always see it through the lens of how do I solve a problem? How do I use my skills mm. to solve and that's how I can be of service. So with Chosen Family, what is the problem that you're solving? Whew, thank you for the loaded question. Um, I think one of the loaded, <laughs> one of the issues or impediments we're seeing is that there is a lack of creativity and innovation. Yeah. That we're, um, we've become so used to the normal services and service delivery that um, I'm trying to inspire and provoke and push people and push them in a very loving way kind, gentle way, even though sometimes it probably comes out as very gay and very sassy. Because um, I'm like, oh, it comes with all this attitude and charisma. And I'm like, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just really trying to encourage you to do things differently. But also at the same time, I think it's uh, one, of the, one of the main problems I would say that I'm seeing is with the NDIS having competent staff and support workers is a huge issue for us as providers. Yeah. Um, I think also the fact that we as providers have to pay for our own education of our staff is really difficult. 
it would be amazing if the NDIS decided to come up with a framework that was extremely robust. Some of those modules, like the orientation modules and stuff, are amazing because you see people with lived experience giving you, you know, that education and training, which is awesome. But if they could add mental health to it, mm. if they could add drug and alcohol to it, if they could add housing modules and competency, cultural competency, you know, I don't think we know enough about the indigenous people of Australia. Um, I think also if there was a diversity and inclusion piece, but proper diversity and inclusion and equity, which is the space I love and I, I love being in, that would be amazing as well. So education, yes, definitely for our support workers. Um, I think also the funding, uh, currently we're not seeing many individuals get funded for SIL anymore, which means they fall within this gap where they don't have funding for SIL, they don't qualify for SDA, and then what do we do with them? You know, they have to go and fight the rental crisis and navigate all of that by themselves with a disability. I, as a well-able-bodied person, struggle with yeah. the rental markers, and I struggle to get in. How will someone who's on a DSP, you know, with like very, very limited funds be able to find suitable accommodation for their service? It's just, so the housing crisis is another thing that I can't sleep at night because I'm constantly thinking of. And then let's talk about aged care and what's happening there. And eventually there are talks now of trying to put aged care under that umbrella there's new talks as well of removing psychosocial disability from the NDIS. Um, I saw an article where Bill Shorten was very strong on that and saying he was going to return that back to the Ministry of Health, who are inundated right now as well. So problems? Oof, girl, not that much. <laughs> Nothing we can't fix. <laughs> yeah. It seems like the NGOs is a great scheme, but it seems like there are just, you know, maybe it's the maturity of the scheme, maybe it's because it's new, yep. maybe it's because it's run by government, I'm not sure. But it seems like there are just pockets of problems. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't believe that government's going to be able to solve all these problems. I think it does come down to people like you and I who are willing to make change and inspire change and push people, as you said, how do you how do you think we even begin trying to tackle some of those issues on behalf of of the participants that that we're serving? Um, I think we go back to the foundational principles of our ancestors, and it's called community. Mm. It's I think the interagencies that they used to have when it was ADAC was amazing. You had a lot of smaller providers interacting with one another, um, leaning on each other's wisdom and strength. And I think we've forgotten the collective and we've all become very individualistic and corporate and commercialized, as I mentioned. So, you know, in South Africa, where I'm from, uh, the ancestors, we have a guiding principle in South Africa called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu means I am because you are. I exist because you exist. I thrive because you ex you thrive. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically, if I water you, I actually water myself. If I bless you, I bless myself. And I think we've forgotten that. I don't really see much of that in Australia. What's attributed to our success in Western Sydney 
is actually the fact that we have really, really good relationships with a whole bunch of other providers that do what we don't do exceptionally well. Yeah. Um, so I never have to do it myself. My team never feels the pressure, um, you know, that I've seen a lot of other organizations succumb to because we're connected. We've got a whole bunch of other people who are industry leaders in that field. So I can just kind of rely on them or call them for assistance. Um, but if you think of it, also what I'm tackling is tall poppy syndrome. Mm. It's I don't celebrate somebody else's success. I don't bless them. I don't open up a door for them. I don't hold the door open for someone new because I have this fear that they are my competition. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are truly authentic to who you are and you know your strengths and your power, baby, you'll never be my competition. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that weird, awkward feeling of, oh, here's another provider doing the same service and now I have a tight chest and I feel like I need to hoard all my power or influence because they're not me. They'll never be me, you know. And so I don't have that that attitude, that prevailing attitude I've seen in sector, which is so sad. Um, so I think it's also teaching all our other service providers, hey, there's room for us all. And um, if you're not copying you know, what another service is doing, because I think actually that's what it is. We've called a whole bunch of people on their bluff. We've caught them. They don't really know. They've just watched Afford, Achieve, Northcott, all these big players do what they've done, and they've replicated that and thought, oh, this is what we're going to do to become successful instead Mm. of innovating and creating from themselves, which is so sad. Yeah. So, hmm. Quote me on it. Come for me. I know they're going to come for me on social media. Come for me. I welcome it, baby, because I'll win. Yeah. I, I read I read something this morning that said that competition's at the bottom, collaboration's at the top. And I think that that's Amen. really, you know, it is all about collaborating because we have different skills. And even if we're in the same geographical area delivering the same services, again, we come back to who are you authentically serving and who who. what is your mission what are you driven to achieve and it isn't just let's work with every single person because you're not the right person for every single participant you know you don't have the the right offering and so it comes down to being really clear on what you do and what you don't do and yeah and, and I think I think that there's you know I think that's quite easy well not easy but I think it's quite clear for someone like you that has a community that you want to serve and people who don't have that that you know are just in it to decide to try and run a business for the first time and aren't don't have that mission I think they're the ones that get lost and that they don't succeed and they do you know feel like they are in competition because they don't have something unique to offer they don't have that you that mm-hmm. you you know maybe that's where the fear mm-hmm. comes from you know imposter syndrome because they're not as well versed in the space or as experienced in the space and they're not really sure what they're doing in the space why are they there Yes. I mean, that's so potent. You're so, you're so accurate in saying that. I think you called it out. It's fear um, more than competition. We're seeing fear-based tactics or um, fear, fear-based or fear-led actions mm. uh, leading individuals to, to act out of their norm and who they are. But I think also just because, you know, I know speaking as somebody, as a person of color, 
Mm. Um, we're often, I've been in so many talks with providers, you know, who are from different parts of Africa or India or um, just from different, you know, nationalities. If they're not Caucasian, there is this fear. We have this conversation often that they're not going to be accepted here in Australia for what they do and what they provide. But it's also like they often tell me, you're very, very brave for doing what you're doing because everything that would not give you referrals, everything that would not put you in front of support coordinators, you're actually doing. And I'm like, yes, because then it means that that's not my tribe. And it also means that, you know, I'm not going to throw my pearls before individuals who aren't going to appreciate it because I'm going to constantly have to work, you know, and have they'll have very unrealistic expectations for the service that I'm delivering and of my team. And I can't do that. I can't bow down to the big corporate for money. Um, because if I do it in that sense, I, I will, I'll begin to act very strangely and it won't be true to our mission, our values and what I want to do. So it's interesting. I talk to a lot of them about this. I know that some of them are probably going to message me and be like, why would you mention that? But I think it's important for a lot of people to realize that there are other unconscious bias that a lot of us as non-English speaking individuals, maybe even those who have come from different parts of the world except Australia, have to kind of, those impediments we have to face and get through in order to get to the actual individuals or support coordinators, you know, to reach the actual clients that we want to reach. Um, So yeah, one of my first interactions with the support coordinator, when I emailed them, they saw a photo of me because I have a very very handsome photo of myself in my email signature. Thank you for agreeing, Tanya. That's why I love you. So um, when I sent an email, I was very, very disheartened because um, the support coordinator called me back and just said, I'm so sorry. Um, I just want to check that this is not like a scam, you know, like that you're not one of those African scammers that I've heard of. Um, which was probably one of the most heart-crushing moments. But that was like my first support coordinator I'd emailed. And she thought I was a Nigerian scammer. Oh, my gosh. You know, so stuff like that, like, yeah. And, and yeah, I won't, I won't mention any other stories. No, it's amazing that that still occurs, though, like especially Western Sydney that is such a diverse place, right? It is it is incredibly diverse. I, I lived in Western Sydney for almost 10 years and, you know, I, I, I worked at a college, a private college, teaching the diploma in Cert threes in childcare and my class, you know, there probably wasn't two people from the same background in my class. It was incredibly diverse um, and it's it is just unbelievable that you could still be treated with I guess it is racism isn't it in in today's world in a place that is so proud to be diverse oh yes oh yes I'll leave that there and smile and wave (laughs) (laughs) yeah well I'm sorry I'm sorry that that's your experience I think that that is you know and, and that support coordinator has did she end up working with you or did you decide that she wasn't your tribe Well, I actually, she's one of our biggest referrers now. Um, 
and that was a great blessing. Obviously, we were talking about that, and I tried to investigate it as nicely as I can. If you know me, I'm, I'm one of those people that don't shy away from like healthy confrontation and talking about the elephant in the room. So it was wonderful. And then meeting her as well, um, I think the success there is that now she's much more aware of that type of bias. I don't yeah. think she did it intentionally. She didn't, she didn't understand why that was bad. You know, she yeah. didn't understand why that was harmful. Um, she was legit wondering, like, is her safety and her client's information, you know, going to be going to someone in another country, which is very, when I say it, I know a lot of my fellow um, people of color are probably like, mm-hmm, but I think we, we actually need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Um, and a lot of times it's not intentional. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of my clients who are from, you know, various different places. Most of them, I'm first generation Australian. Most of them are first generation Australian, um, born here, but people of color or, you know, diverse in some way. And they do pay me to come and sit in their audit just to have a white person in the audit. Like that is, that is a thing that I get asked. Um, <laughs> and it will be like, you know, and my name now is Gomez, which I get questions about in my Spanish, am I this, am I that? But before my last name was Menzies and people would say, we just need a white name on the application. Can I pay you to be, you know, not in the NGS space, in the application space, can we just pay you to be the name on the application so that we don't get discriminated? And it's, you know, I, yep. I have. I have four children and two of my children have dark skin and two of them don't, both same parents, but two of them are darker than the other two. And it's amazing <laughs> how my oldest son, who's white like me, and my second son, who's brown like his dad, it's amazing how they do get treated different. And they'll be sitting next to each other and people will treat my darker skinned child differently. And it's like, I, this is just, it just absolutely drives me insane. I think we've kind of got off on a tangent, but it's um, unbelievable to me that these things still exist and that, you know, yeah, I, I, I can't. Uh, and then you talk about disability and then you have, you know, I think you've got a whole nother ableism, as you said, a whole nother issue to try and tackle. Do you feel like Trans and Family is tackling this problem that your, your, you know, loud and proud about who you are and what you do to try and disrupt this this normal agenda of I think you called it I, I don't know Caucasian I don't know I don't know what the term yeah. for it is. Oh, well, let's just call it the patriarchy, darling. Um, I think yes, we're definitely facing it head on. Um. And that's that can be from the so-called love letters that I call that I often receive on a weekly basis, um, or the the love emails, you know, as to why I need to end up in hell, or you know, oh. who's going to come and violate me and kill me, and all, all sorts of interesting things. I love that type of feedback because I know that okay, that's a sore point. That's where that person is. It's good data for me. Mm -hmm. um, I do think as well, it challenges us. We are not the experts. Like I would love to be called an expert, but often I've created certain programs or matched clients with support workers or, you know, done things like that that I thought would be so beneficial and it ended up being extremely harmful. But it was then sitting back and going, oh my gosh, this did not work. One size does not fit all. Let's go back. Let's actually bring 
them in and maybe also their support network in and then you know let's collaborate and create a pathway for them that's going to be much more beneficial like co-designing right so yes we're definitely hitting those things on the head the the nail I, i can see it especially with the lgbtqia community and those in the dni space but i think we still have so much more so much more to do um yeah, and I'm constantly being challenged myself. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I, 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 I feel like you. It's a really important piece of work for people to be challenging stereotypes in general, and to you know showing how well people, you know, humans, how all humans are diverse and different, um, and that we should be embracing our differences because our differences is what make us you know, unique and gives us our, our, uh, you know, makes up who we are and we can't, we can't change who we are. We are born this way and, you know, or environment yes. makes us this way. Either way, it's um, a really powerful thing to be out there advocating for your tribe. And I think that that's a really, it is a brave thing to do. Well, it's it's a blessing. Thank you. It's a for me. It's a privilege because I'm constantly learning. You know, even those that disagree with us, or if there is pushback, I feel like that's the sandpaper that ends up creating this beautiful piece of art, which is my soul. Um, sometimes I don't welcome it. Don't welcome that type of um, life lesson because <laughs> it's painful. But it forges us to become a bit more flexible. It forges us to become more inclusive. It forges us to become more graceful and patient and loving, not only with our uh, community that we serve, but also our family and our friends and our our network, our broader network. You know, like people with disability or those who have trauma have taught me a lot about how I need to treat others Mm -hmm. and then treat myself. So if anything, I'm I'm the one that's blessed here because they're teaching me principles that I think a lot of our ancestors knew um, that we've forgotten in our wonderful, glamorized, yeah. fake, perfect Barbie world, you know. By yeah. the way, go watch the movie Barbie. I think it's amazing. I think it tackles so many social issues that we, we definitely need to look into once again. Yeah. You've mentioned a few times about creativity and innovation. What what other kinds of creativity or innovation do you think is needed in, in the NGIS landscape? What would you like to change? I think when it comes to, like, uh, what I would change, oh, we've spoken so much, I think, once again, online safety is something we don't talk a lot about. That type of education, even when it comes to relationships and dating, um, oh, even that, just healthy relationships, sex. You know, let's talk to our individuals, those who have a disability, let's talk to them about that. Let's educate them on that. We're not really seeing much of that currently take place. Um, I do have a friend, her name is Cheryl Drury. You definitely need to interview her. Um, she's started her own dating app for people with disability called Datability, and then she runs these mixes where they have therapists, you know, involved. I think that's like life changing. Yeah. That to me was just amazing. But to see more of that, we're not really seeing that. Hey, mm-hmm. um, but even just online safety in general, it's just kind of non-existent. Yeah. 
Yeah. It would be nice if the NDIS also funded sex workers. That would be great. Quote me on that too. I think um, not in all areas, not in all states. I think all our states have different laws. I think that actually uniformity amongst Mm. all our states, that would be great. And then lastly, I would say the rise of the independent contractor. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Red flags. Why has quality and safeguarding not come up with an auditing framework for them? Because I have seen independent support workers do some of the most unethical, ungodly things I've ever seen. And they've gotten away with it. And then smaller providers like us, we often get targeted because we're not registered yet, for example. We've applied to be registered with the NDIS. Yay! Um, it would be nice if that process also wasn't as painful and didn't take a year minimum yeah. to get registered. It would be lovely. So maybe mm-hmm. if we put some more funds towards all of those things, it would be awesome. But the independent contractor, that scares me. Oh, it scares me. Yeah. No, I agree. I think is. Yeah, it can be the wild, wild west out there. I think sometimes, and you know, I, I have I have a, a lot of clients in Western Sydney, and it seems to be a common, you know, almost every week one of my clients call me and talk about also the underhandedness of things of scams, I guess you would call them. And I don't know if this is Australia wide. I just I've been drawn to the attention in in Western Sydney specifically around, you know, oh well, I'll go with you for using my plan if you buy me a TV. You know, or I will, I'll half my funds with you, you know, and you don't deliver any services and, you know, those kind of conversations. Um, and it kind of, yeah, reminds me of many previous government uh, rorts that I was aware of. Yeah. And, I mean, how, how do you operate it's, in an environment yeah. like that, right? It's impossible. Yeah. I know of a lot of providers that um, they're thriving because they're unethical. Yeah. It's just, it blows my mind. Whether it's offering the iPads or the TVs or the lounge suites or whatever, um, or offering support coordinators, you know, Louis Vuitton or Gucci bags. It's it's some of the most rife, I know, right? Louis Vuitton. <laughs> Darling, I'm in the wrong industry. <laughs> Should have gone into support coordination full time. Um, absolutely wild. And, and you see them, and often for us as ethical orgs that are smaller, it, it, it hurts your heart. It stings because you're sitting there going, I'm doing everything the way I'm meant to do it. I'm going, I'm, I'm above reproach. And then this other person I know, you know, that that's not ethical, not even giving a, giving to proper care standards or abiding by that is, is excelling, you know, but I do think the NDIA or the safeguards and um, safeguards commission that, that, that part of the NDIS, complaints that the investigation section may be slow but eventually they'll get there oh i think whatever you do in the dark it will it will be exposed it will it it will happen so i think like me a whole bunch of smaller providers are sitting going come on now any day now get them 
yeah. get in there and it see what's going on. Time, but it does happen. I, when I worked in education, there was a, uh, in 2013 or thereabouts, there was a big, you know, they call it the vet, vet fee help uh, frauds and scams. Yep were going on and you know it was just this this week so what's that 10 years later it was just this week that one of the people that I sat and watched do the most unethical things over and over again 10 years ago I was sitting there going you know how can they be allowed to do this I can't believe it it's taken 10 years but they are paying the price now it just the government moves slow mm. and they need to get the right evidence but it does happen and you know when it happens I had a million messages from all of the people from 10 years ago that we used to all have these conversations how are they getting away with it I can't we can't compete in a marketplace where people are, are doing the wrong thing it, it just takes the government time but when they do it they do it well so we just need to be patient and know that you know it, their day will come there will be a reckoning. Yeah. Can't um, wait. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so tell me, where do you see your organisation in the future? What are your goals? Where where, where to from here? Um, we're going to continue to do what we do very, very well, which is provide amazing, fabulous core support services to individuals who have a disability. Um, and then also to those niche um, provisions like those who have drug and alcohol, the justice system, um, especially seeing individuals with autism. Yeah, like even the psychosocial space, that's something that we're very passionate about. Um, but I, I would say where I see Chosen Family uh, mainly is actually becoming an oasis of refreshment and joy and innovation for others to also become inspired and then to go out and do theirs as well and create their own platform, you know, of equity and belonging and, and whatever makes them unique. Uh, I really want to be encouraging and enticing others to do the same instead of them come to come and copy us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my desire is that we'll see all those agencies that do those niche specialities eventually form some sort of a network. Um, it's worked for us in Western Sydney. It's worked for us in Queensland now. Um, I think it will work for us if we go national as well. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the dream. Everybody thrives all together at the same time, doing what we do, you know, doing what we're passionate about instead of, try to copy somebody else and you know try to flog a dead horse sorry for that visual but um yeah trigger warning <laughs> amazing i think i'm really excited to see where you go from here and to to watch your journey i think that you're going to be doing some really amazing and important work for your participants um how can how can people follow your story and and get to know more about you well, we've got our website, chosen.family, and if you type into Google Chosen Family Disability, we'll come up as the first. Um, and then also we're on every other social media platform. My personal mobile number is actually on our website, so everybody has access to my number, including my clients. Um, so they can reach out to us in a multitude of ways, you know, every platform, email, phone call, text, WhatsApp. I've actually had a client WhatsApp me recently, which was interesting. Um just you know it was awesome seeing that that's the way they wanted to because they wanted to voice note me mm. so cool um 
that beat the referral form process. Once again, something we thought was amazing and robust. You know, clients basically said, that's not how I want to communicate with you. So, yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn as well. I think my name is all there. Don't spell my name like a tradie, though, because not one of those. I used to be. Um, but, yeah, if they if they look out for me, you'll find me and see me. I'm the black guy with colorful clothes and items. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm very shy and very humble, and I never <laughs> speak, you know. I don't draw any attention to myself, clearly. No. <laughs> I think I think your your fashion sense is what you're known for, isn't it? You kind of have a a <laughs> around your bright coloured clothes. Yes, today I'm wearing. Um, and that's actually from Champion themselves. They released a pride um, like line of clothing. So I'm wearing the LGBTQ, especially the trans flag mm. today. Um, so yeah, thank you. My clothes. Yeah, you don't want to see the bull for the clothes though. You're definitely well known for your beautiful uh, tasting clothes. Um, I think I think I, you've, we've kind of answered all of the questions that I had for you today. But it was so great to getting to chat to you um, and to get to learn more about your journey in this space. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up? Well, I wanted to say um, that I pray that when people watch this or listen to it, that they're encouraged to um, think outside of the box and that they can find solutions or practical solutions for individuals with a disability. And if there's something that they have, an idea, that they don't need to wait for a big corporate to fund it. You know, Chosen Family was started or commenced often. With, we didn't have funding at that stage, actually. We used our personal equity and money um, to fund this vision. And a year and, what, three or four months later, it's becoming so big and it's taken shape and form. So that's my prayer. I hope that people are encouraged and that they're excited about the disability sector and they're not overwhelmed by what they're currently seeing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been so wonderful and I hope we get to do this again soon. Yes, please. Let's do food, coffee, wine. Yes. Yeah, it would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Tanya. See you later. Thanks, A. Bye. On the next episode of Innovate for Impact. So what we can be very agile. So even though we've got teams around clients, and that's their, their personal team. That doesn't mean to say that our star, uh, our support workers don't see beyond multiple teams. Um, there is flexibility. Well, well, the conversation we have with clients, and, and we have had instances where, you know, we might get a call from a client or from a hospital saying, hey, we've got somebody discharging. Um, do you have capacity to provide supports? Mm. Next week. Next week. <laughs> Which is always an interesting prospect. <laughs> But in saying that, we've got an awesome group of, uh, an awesome team of support workers and support specialists who oversee the support workers who will mobilize very, very quickly. Thank you for joining us on another enlightening episode of Innovate for Impact. Stay tuned for more thought-provoking conversations and innovative ideas that drive positive change within the NDIS space. Remember, together we're shaping a future where innovation and impact go hand in hand. Oh,